Hi, everyone. I'm Dan Langley, and welcome to the latest episode of the Manufacturing IT podcast. I'm joined today by Matthew Miller. Matthew is the Head of Global Operations Technology at Sun Chemical. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, no, my pleasure, Matthew. And, and someone I, I know you and I have been connected for a little while on LinkedIn, and I saw you kind of got some really strong manufacturing industry experience. So that was one of, one of the reasons I wanted to have you onto the podcast and, and get your take on how digital transformation is changing across multiple different industries. But it'd be great for you to introduce yourselves to the podcast and um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Yeah, I've been in the manufacturing industry for about 30 years now in all different kinds of aspects. And I started off working um, for an engineering firm, did a lot of work for a, a local local company most people recognize called PNG. Um, worked all over US and South America as well, doing different projects and then went from there to a pharmaceutical company. Um, I was at pharmaceutical company. I ran their both their IT and OT groups at, at, at our largest manufacturing operation and um, did some pretty uh, advanced things at the time for our on our control systems there and then moved from there for the textile industry um, we were doing we were working for the just working for the largest uh, manufacturer of sheets and towels for the hospitality and uh, and uh, hospitals industry um, and uh, doing the same thing there we're trying to you know, take data from manufacturing and use it to uh, improve overall operations. And then from there, I moved on to my current role, which is at Sun Chemical, which is uh, looking at their OT group, um, building their OT operations out um, and, you know, really taking uh, a digital look at how, how we operate and how we can improve operations overall. Yeah, it's a really interesting career path, um, Matt. And I think from from my perspective, I work a, a lot with technology companies who are priming companies, manufacturers for digital transformation or other digital initiatives. And I guess one of the things I'm always really keen on the podcast is to have the conversation from somebody who's traditionally on the you know the customer side or the end user side. So how have you seen things change in the last you know, 25, 30 years or so towards more digitalization from, from the manufacturing side? Well, I think it's changed. I mean, obviously PLCs have been around for a long time, um, uh, but I early, early on, I remember connecting a, connecting a laptop up to a serial port on a PLC to download, you know, data into Excel or into Access or something or other, um, which again, nothing back then was connected. Nothing was networked. Nothing was uh, uh, all the data was in, you know, islands out there and there wasn't really anybody collecting data. It was more or less just, uh, the PLCs were something to run the process. So obviously the, today the data is almost a king. I mean, it's more important to get that data to be able to see how your operations are running and to predict how, you know, when maintenance is going to be needed. Um, when you know, you know be able to compare batches from one to another all those kinds of things uh, have definitely um, changed dramatically over the last 30 years yeah i think so and, and and if i look at your experience obviously you've got experience through the whole kind of iso 95 pyramid from all from the erp layer right down to the kind of kind of trolls and as you mentioned the plc side so how, how have you found that kind of 
digital maturity within manufacturers through that pyramid now? How how are manufacturing operate or manufacturing companies using that? Is that what you're asking? Yes, yes. Um, I think it's definitely uh, as you get more and more connected. It's I'm always surprised. Um, it's always fascinated me going into any industry of the scale of things of it take what it takes to manufacture. I don't know toilet paper to to um you know pretzels to um to you know inks and dyes whatever else i mean uh, no one really imagines what scale you're talking about when you're uh, doing it at an industrial level um mm -hmm. but being able to take take the the pyramid and basically start to integrate all those different pieces together obviously like you said on the bottom is the plcs and the sensors uh, that is great information down there, but if you're, all it's doing is controlling your process at the time, um, obviously we can pull all that data into a into a database nowadays and really uh, try to optimize overall uh, operations or uptime and really try to, uh, I mean, really, again, most auto companies are going to be becoming in a sense data companies more than they are just a manufacturing company so if you can harness all that information that you have out there to uh, improve your operations and also possibly even partner with your up and down the supply chain as well there's ways that if you can share information with your um, with your customers or you can um, see maybe when they're running low on their on volumes of your ink or something like that, where we could you know ship ship when they need them. Those, those kind of things are definitely um, important. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting one, and this is something I was kind of also keen to ask you, Matt. Is is obviously a lot of our listeners uh, on the podcast will be coming from one industry and maybe not had as much exposure to to kind of the different verticals that you have. So, how does the manufacturing you know change across textile, pharma, and chemical for you? Like, what are, what are the big challenges that you see in, in manufacturing of those different areas? Um, I mean, ultimately, manufacturing is manufacturing, right? You put in. You put in, you know, raw materials, it comes out with a, a finished product and your finished product might not be the one that actually gets to the consumer. It might actually be part of the supply chain still um, that somebody else might go like I mean, right now with Sun, most of the stuff that we ship actually goes into somebody else's product, um, if it's paint or makeup or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, you know, being able to. Um, manufacture all the different products that are out there and be able to do it in a, a more efficient way by, you know, by understanding your process to a deeper level, not just, um, uh, you know, hit and start and walking away from the equipment. Yeah, no, it's, it, I guess from, from my side, what, what I like to see really with, with companies is that kind of innovation. And I mean, you touched upon it as well from moving, just kind of making a finished product to, to the data side and kind of making use of that data. Is there any insights that you can share about kind of great use cases of where you've seen companies or, or even the companies that you work for make great use cases for the data that they collect and how they can, you know, utilize that better? Yeah, I mean, I, I can go back to one of the the pharmaceutical company I used to work for. Uh, it was a it was a batch process that we made um, 
it was a, about a week long process and there was some key pieces to that process of you had to have high levels of control during those key moments of the process or or you'd end up scrapping a batch and scrapping a, a batch of uh, this product was you know a couple million dollars wow and wow. so you you didn't want that to happen but <laughs> and the other piece of that was if it did happen you wanted to learn from it and mm -hmm. you wanted to be able to compare it to other other good batches and see where it went wrong and we had uh, developed uh, well for one we had developed a uh, historian with our uh, our system and the, most of the stack was rockwell but the historian at the time they i don't believe they had had one or one wasn't what we actually were, were looking for so we home grew that historian and we were able to take that and using uh, a, a product like i think it was called minitab um, and set up programming so we could actually pull all the data from each batch and overlay it on top of each other and be able to see exactly where we deviated from the standard um, pretty instantly um, before we could do it but it took an engineer probably about a week to download all the data and put it all into a spreadsheet and to manipulate it what they needed to do and clean it up but uh, all those steps we basically we uh took those and and put them into the program so we literally could type in you know how many batches do you want to look back and wow. uh, on what product it was and then two minutes later it had that overlay for us so that was that's a huge save time time saver another big thing of pharma is there's no such thing as not having root cause okay if you ever had a product a problem with the product you had to have a root cause you could not just say, ah, it was, it's just a fluke. We couldn't you know, move on. But you could say that, but then you're scrapping your batch and yeah. you're and you're throwing that money away. So we always had to push into the, the root cause. And, and as you probably know, pharma is a different industry than a lot of other industries. Yeah. Um, they, they, in some ways, have deeper pockets just because of the, the cost of the drugs and so forth. But uh, I, I've learned a lot from that to take it to other businesses, other uh, industries. Um, but also you have to remember that uh, most most industries don't ever need to go that far and yeah. have, um, I mean, uh, if you have a little bit of air and making a sheet is not going to hurt anybody compared to if you have an injectable that, uh, that had some problems. Yeah, I think that's one of the really interesting things about working. Uh, and I speak to when I speak to a lot of people who have time in the kind of pharma biotech biopharma space is that the cost to scrap a batch is so incredibly high that the traceability factor is huge as well. So I guess if you can you know, cut your teeth in a manufacturing environment with, with that much scrutiny and and regulation, then a lot of other manufacturing processes there that gives that more degree of um, degree of error, I guess, or degree yeah. of flexibility. Yeah, I'd say the first year or so after I left the pharmaceutical industry, it took me a little while to, <laughs> to um, balance out a little bit compared to <laughs> and say, you know, why don't we want to get a root cause? Because, you know, it, it doesn't really matter in a lot of industries. It just matters more about product, production and keeping the production high. But with that said, obviously, the data piece is the same. So 
um, in, in the pharma, we were always looking to make sure that we had that data to prove that we had things in control. Now, if you yeah. look at now how we look at data for um, either textile or ink, it's really how can we improve our overall operations and keep our equipment running? So uh, is it looking at OEE calculations to know how long it's, a piece of equipment's been running and it needs to have maintenance done? Or is it looking at vibration monitoring to see if the the drive is you know vibrating more now than it was you know last week, and we need to probably take a look at it to see what's going on. Yeah, no, it, I, you know, ch challenges of course, but I guess it's different degree of those challenges. And um, Matt, I was curious, your your journey across the different manufacturing verticals was that something by design, or was that just by opportunity that you got that that exposure for your career? Yeah, I think it was by uh, by opportunity more than yeah. by design. I mean, again, the early early phases when I worked for a, an engineering firm in Cincinnati, um, and if you know, P&G is huge in Cincinnati. So uh, we, we I worked in all different kinds of industries there, and it was very uh, fascinating to do. And IT really hadn't, there was some IT, maybe like mainframes, that kind of thing at that <laughs> point, trying to, I'm dating myself a little bit. But um, when we started, when the, the, the um, desktop PC came into environment, I sort of, you know, saw that as a, I was attracted to that. And it's like, why, well, you know, we should be using this um, a lot more here in our, in our office. So we would, we, we'd actually build, build our CAD stations ourselves and uh, built the first network in the building and i uh, really cut my teeth on that as well so i mean it was that uh, early on uh, engineering firm I, I learned a lot of different things and and also how to travel too as another big piece too as i i mean believe it or not a lot of people when you're young just out of school and you, they put you on assignments all over the, all over the country uh knowing knowing how to get there and so forth before uh, your iphone gps was available <laughs> so yeah learned lots of different things no, it's an interesting journey, Mac. And, and, and this was one of the other areas I was keen to ask is obviously, you know, you and I are working together on, on some recruitment activities, but how have you seen the kind of workforce change as, as manufacturing and digitalization and manufacturing has changed? Because one of the things that I'm always looking for is that how can we inspire more people to look at manufacturing as a career, but then also to kind of move from that say carpeted side of the business to the uncarpeted side, i.e. the manufacturing side. And, and how have you, so how have you seen that kind of workforce change over the last, you know, even 10 or 15 years uh, or so? Well, you've run into multiple different kinds of people at manufacturing operations. So a lot of times <laughs> I'm, I'm working with the facility engineers or the facility maintenance personnel um, but then also obviously working with the, the plant floor um, manufacturing people. Um, so it's, it's definitely, I mean, on the engineering and maintenance side of things, it's definitely more technology driven nowadays. You have yeah. a lot more data, you have your inventory management systems, you have, you know, of, uh, uh, you know your barcode systems in your, in your shop warehouses and uh, the engineers, I mean, to me, the, the best engineers I ever come across are always the ones that have a little bit of, if they're mechanical, they have to have a little bit of automation experience as well, because nothing 
mechanical today is not automated. I mean, yeah. it, if it has gears and does something, it has to have some control to it. Um, so I, I think there's more and more of that. Um, I've also, I've found some of the best uh, engineers actually come out of Kim E area because they, they can really, they have a very wide knowledge of uh, experiences, both in the process, but in, um, in, the pro, in the controls and so forth. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that I, I one of the goals of the podcast, man, is really to look at maybe inspiring to people to to maybe either look at manufacturing or manufacturing operations as a destination for their career. Because I definitely see as we move in towards more of a smart factory environment that it's a really exciting place to work, and there are a lot of you know benefits to to having that experience and exposure. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the big things that's changing now is uh, as uh, some of the older people that are retiring from manufacturing that have come up through the ranks of manufacturing. And they, when they first originally started, there wasn't any computers. There weren't <laughs> maybe a little bit, um, maybe a few PLCs, but a lot of it might have been push buttons that mm -hmm. how they how they ran their operation. But kids today, uh, say kids, um, but you know, eighteen or twenty-year-olds coming up are used to having having their you know their iPhone in their pocket all the time and be able to ask Google or Alexa uh, anything and be able to get the answer. Um, I think when you're at the plant floor and a lot of places, sometimes it's safety issues because we have we have some areas that are explosion rated, so obviously you can't take you know electronic devices <laughs> in there unless they're specific ones. Um, so it can be a challenge sometimes for them to, you know, not and say, why can't I have my phone on me? Why can't I ask, you know, be able to surf? And sometimes uh, I think that's what we need to break those barriers down a little bit and say, you know, the, the younger generation, they're going to work differently than the older generation. And we need to embrace that because that's they definitely have a, um, a, a deep amount of knowledge that we should be tapping into. Yeah, I, I think so. Definitely from, from what we see from a recruitment side is that that kind of younger generation coming into the market are much more digital native with iPads, iPhones and that kind of connected environment. So I think th there's two things that we see. It's that making that manufacturing environment more collaborative and and having that kind of openness to accept the technology change, but but also having an environment where you know, the younger generation feel inspired and motivated to, you know, bring thoughts and discussions to the table. And I guess as one generation exits the workforce, another one enters it. And I guess there's there got to be that kind of collaboration in the middle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the big thing, big challenge, I think a lot of industries are having right now is that those older workers that are exiting the workforce are taking a huge amount of knowledge with them as well. Yeah. Um, and how, how do we document that knowledge? How do we keep that knowledge for the next generation and or mo next multiple gener you know, multiple generations of people because you, you want to learn from your learn from the past and how you improve it in the future? Yeah. And just to touch on that, how has kind of COVID impacted maybe your teams or anything, Matt, with, with, with the work you've done in the last years with people needing to be on site because of manufacturing operations versus, you know, not able to, to come to site and stuff? Have you seen a huge impact on, on kind of people's mentality as we hopefully exit the other side of the pandemic now with their kind of working environments? 
Um, as far I can just speak a little bit to how it's impacted. I mean, I actually started at Sun during the pandemic, so it was early on in the pandemic. So I've I have an office, but I've only been to it about three times. Okay, um, <laughs> and, and most of the people I work with aren't in my office. Uh, most of the people we're a global organization, so I have people in Europe. I have uh, people in other other cities and states in the hot in the U.S. So um, I, I really rarely see them face to face. One of the big issues we had was we weren't, uh, the company stopped all inner site travel for a while because they were afraid of uh, taking infections from one site and to other sites. And obviously the heart of any manufacturing operation is the people that are manufacturing the product. So we were trying mm -hmm. to isolate them as much as we could um, we, we put some pretty strict policies in place and that, which they've obviously pulled off back now, but so that was a little bit of a challenge, not, you know, it, it's, it's hard to imagine an operation or a site without seeing it firsthand yes. and un understanding the, uh, the issues that they have or, you know, their overall operations. So, um, I just had to rely on my local, my local resources quite a bit more um and maybe you know ask for more documentation or pictures of things um and that kind of stuff to, to help us continue on but overall i think and i think we've gotten better at it but it was at first uh, somewhat of a slowed the process down for for projects and so forth so it was uh, a little challenging at times to get through yeah, no, I said, and I'm conscious of the time, man, and I appreciate you're you're a busy guy. But but I just wanted to ask you, you know, given your your role at Sun Chemical now, head of global operations technology, what what advice would you give to somebody who's building their career in manufacturing operations and 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 sees what what you've achieved is kind of where they want to get to? What 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 advice would you give to somebody who's maybe at the start of their career journey or you know a few years in to to kind of achieve the the level of success that you've achieved and and got to the level you've got to? What advice would you kind of what could you share for them? I mean, as we touched on earlier, talking about, I mean, I really didn't have my career mapped out for me. I didn't have, you know, this is where I want to be in 15, 20 years. <laughs> so what I would say there is just every different opportunity that you have, I mean, you know, always look for those new opportunities and learn from each one. And always, you're always bringing in new knowledge or possibly using the knowledge you had to fix the problem that you had there. But it's like a um, a bank of of information, and the more you bring, the more experiences you have, the more uh, you can uh, address the the problems of your of your current day. So, again, just be open. Uh, get out from behind your desk. I know that's a little bit different <laughs> nowadays since we're home. Get on the plant floor. Understand the process. Um, talk to the operators. I mean, learn from everybody you, you, inter, you interface with. And then um, sometimes it's uh, a little luck and sometimes you need to you know, push yourself to get out there and uh, experience different things. Oh, I appreciate that, Matt. I think some really, really good advice there to people. So, um, look, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Matt. I really appreciate your time and insight and, and obviously great to, great to hear your thoughts. So thank you. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for having me.